It's the Gardner-Webb Coaches Show Podcast, presented by Alpha Graphics South Charlotte, the premier custom printing, marketing, and signage company located in the heart of Charlotte. Visit alphagraphicssouthcharlotte.com. Here's your host, Phil Constantino. On this week's Coaches Show Podcast, we're bringing a little bit of a different perspective. We welcome to the discussion the top dog of Gardner-Webb Athletics, the man all the coaches answer to, Dr. Andrew T. Goodrich. Dr. G, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This conversation on the Gardner-Webb Coaches Show podcast is, as always, presented by our friends at Alpha Graphics South Charlotte. Family owned and operated for over 25 years, Alpha Graphics South Charlotte has been the premier printing company and design solution serving the Charlotte market. Owner and operator Rich Shepler brings over 35 years of industry experience to the table, and his team of marketing and communications experts can help you expand your brand. Visit alphagraphicsouthcharlotte.com. That's alphagraphicsouthcharlotte.com. Or call 704-849-9292. That's 704-849-9292. Dr. Goodrich, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot that has gone on in Gardner-Webb Athletics recently. Honestly, transformational things that have gone on that will affect this university and this Department of Athletics for a long time. Let's start at the top of the list. Chris Reisert, recently named your new head football coach. What about him stood out that you have chosen him to lead this program into the future? The easiest response to that is his level of professionalism combined with the fact that he has won at every place he's ever been in his life, not just as a coach, but also as a player. And at the end of the day, when I went to bed at night and I thought about our finalists, I wanted to think about which person would I most want to coach my son for four years of college football. And Coach Reisert is that man. What can you tell us about the process? How many finalists were there? Uh, what was their background, their career successes? What can you share with us? What I can share is that we had a significant number of people involved. Um, we had people from coast to coast. We looked from Power 5 all the way down to Division 3 and everywhere in between to try to identify the person that had the right characteristics, uh, the knowledge, skills, abilities, and results that we were looking for. I think that uh, over time, we narrowed it down to about 10 or so folks who we really thought were really strong. We did a number of Zoom interviews with these folks. Uh, we narrowed it down to three finalists. Uh, what I can tell you about all three finalists is that uh, they are all coaches who had won conference championships and had taken their team to the postseason. Uh, and from there, uh, we really wanted to get down into who was the best fit for Gardner-Webb University and this community. And that's where Chris really differentiated himself and uh, stood out. What role did playing style play in this? Chris is an offensive guy. As a play caller, his teams have averaged approximately 40 points per game uh, during his seven years as a play caller, two years as an offensive coordinator, five years as a head coach uh, in Division II. But Dr. Downs, president of this school, said at the introductory press conference, basically, we much prefer a style that's faster. <laughs> we much prefer a style that would be, I guess, more engaging for fans to watch. 
So how much did playing style, the fact that he's an offensive mind and the fact that he likes to play up-tempo and throw the football a lot play into this? Well, I, I think it played a big role in getting Chris into the group of 10 Right. When we went from literally uh, maybe 100 applicants down to the top 10, it played a huge role from getting him from 10 into the three. I think there was a lot of similarities there. Dr. Downs and I are very aligned on that. The idea that we do need to score points. We do think at the FCS level, the way to win championships is outscoring your opponents because the way that the rules are set up, it's advantageous to the offense. And then, um, you know, I think when we looked at our three finalists, all of them were very, very strong offensively. Trey Lamb leaves very quickly after the season, and you now have to go into coaching search process. The whole process took approximately two weeks. Uh, first, it happened very quickly. After four seasons, did you expect Trey to go? I think it was a blessing that Trey left. If he was going to leave, to leave early, because that gives us an opportunity to get prepared here for this first early signing period. Um, I think that there was always a sense, especially coming off the heels of our incredible run on women's basketball uh, with Alex Simmons. She did an incredible job, won a conference championship, and a group came in and took her. Um, last year, after we won the Big South, conference championship there were people trying to get Trey at that point so I think you know to say that um it was it was not expected um you know we knew that there would be people trying to get Trey uh but you, you know people thought that Trey was going to leave last year and he stayed and so I did hold out um you know a sense of hope that maybe potentially Trey would stay. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the way everything played out, I think it was a best-case scenario for him, us, uh, and Chris Reisert. I think that uh, everybody won in this. So it seems like, given that response, there was an importance on we need to move quickly to hire a head coach. Most certainly. In this age of the transfer portal recruiting, yep. I think it's no surprise that there are a lot of players that have entered the portal. There aren't that many players remaining on the football roster that Chris inherits. Uh, a lot of those players, expectedly, have gone with Trey Lamb to his new school. Uh, but where you're at now, you need to move quickly so that you can recruit. Does that sound right? It does, and there's a balance, too, right? You want to rush, but you don't want to hurry. The meaning is we, we've got to do this as quick as possible, but we must find the right person. And it doesn't do us or that coach any good to hire the wrong person because that can set us back for years. What we wanted to do was take our time and make sure that we actually selected the best fit, the best candidate who's going to be able to recruit his own student athletes, maybe recruit some of the guys who are currently here and really just really build off the foundation that we already have. Another point of emphasis it appears in the search that Dr. Downs highlighted at the introductory press conference was we want someone with previous head coaching experience. Now that was not the case in 2019 when Trey Lamb was hired. Uh, obviously this program is in a very different place and uh, credit to him for helping build that. But that head coaching experience was a priority and the answer you gave just moments ago it seems like the finalists and maybe the semi-finalists for lack of a better phrase uh, must be coming up from lower levels if they have head coaching experience, and that is the case for Chris Reiser. He was in Division Two. Uh, is that 
is that proper to say it that way, that you guys are really looking kind of at the lower levels for head coaches? You know, no, not necessarily. I, okay. I think it played out that way. I think what we did first is we defined the characteristics that we wanted, and then we looked at their knowledge, skills, abilities, and experience. And we did look at very, very successful, very talented coordinators um, at Division One, and Ultimately, at the end of the day, when we narrowed it down, we thought that the best candidate was going to fit this concept of already having been a head coach. Chris said at his introductory press conference, and I can say from having been in the room, that this went over very well with the Gardner-Webb folks, the Gardner-Webb fans, Gardner-Webb staff, students. Chris Reisert said, we will win a national championship here. He said it three times. He ended his press conference on it. And then in two separate interviews with me afterwards, he doubled down on it. He said, we can absolutely win and we will win a national championship in football at the FCS level here at Gardner-Webb. That's big talking. Do you believe that? I do. And here's the reason. Number one, you spend enough time with me, you're going to hear our five core beliefs, right? Our first core belief in Gardner-Webb Athletics is that anything is possible. That's rooted in our Christian mission. That is who we are. And there is no team in the history of college sports who ever won a national championship who did not first believe that it was possible. And therefore, we need to speak this truth. We need to share it publicly. And so we won't back off of it. Step one in winning a national championship is declaring it. And I'm proud of Chris for having done so and all of us. From me, Dr. Downs, everyone in this building who works for Gardner Web Athletics, every alum, I want them to embrace this belief. Now, you'll also hear me say champions act like champions before they become champions. It means we got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of we've got to fundraise. We've got to get resources. We have got to go out and do the things that national championship caliber programs do. But don't kid yourself. It can be done here. Step one, believe. Let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about you personally. You're a little over a calendar year into being an athletic director in Division One for the very first time. First, What's a coaching search for a football coach like? What is every day for those two weeks where I'm sure you were immersed fully in it? What is that like? What is every day like? Well, the first thing I will say is it helps you realize how good everyone else around you in the department is because Pam Scruggs kept doing her job. Carrie Baker Drake kept doing her job. Everyone around the department, even Phil Constantino, kept doing their job. And uh, and I'm appreciative of everyone in the department because you might think, well, what does a wrestling coach have to do with a football search? I needed Daniel Elliott to focus on his team and do the things that he needed to do, and he did, right? Because you don't trainers. have time to go put out other fires Correct. when that's happening. You are literally sleeping and then working on the search. And I know that sounds a little bit like hyperbole. It is not. I've read more bios. I've watched more films. I have talked to more people. I've delved into leadership and management philosophies unlike I ever have with any other search in my career because we understand how important it is to get this right. And uh, 
not only do I feel like we did it and we got it right, um, I will say that um, I, I think I'll be a better athletics director from having gone through the experience and having done this. Um, and it really forces you to ask really deep questions about who is the right fit? Why are they the right fit? Are they the right fit today in 2023? Will they also be the right fit in 2025? Um, you know, will they be the right fit in 2027? Like we really have to see it like past, present, future and consider almost every perspective. On a granular level. Let's get into it here. Yeah. How many phone calls and Zoom calls a day combined? Uh, like like uh, all everything? During uh, this search, during the last two weeks of this coaching search, trying to find the right guy, and I'm sure you were inundated with recommendations from all over the country. That is bound to happen, especially when you have a successful program yeah. that's won back-to-back conference championships. How many phone calls and Zoom calls and other types of video calls do you think you did combined on average in a single day for two uh, weeks? Ten a day, every single day. I thought you were going to say like 30. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, you do you do have some really short ones uh-huh. that I kind of, in my head, I'm not like, hey, thank you for your interest, but we're not going to go that to-. So I guess I'm not, I'm talking about genuine conversations, genuine conversations, 10 a day, every day. You do end up having some conversations that, that you realize great people, um, but probably not the right fit for us. Secondly, this seems like as far as, and you've had some other coaching searches, you've actually had quite a few spots to fill in your first year, but as far as being an athletic director, it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than trying to fill the position of head football coach. That is a big deal, and that has a lot of legs and entanglements that run deeper beyond the campus and into the community and probably even beyond the community. Um, for you, going from having been an assistant and associate and deputy AD in jobs in the past and now being in the position of athletic director, that's the difference like an assistant coach to a head coach, uh, a vice president to a president. That's the difference between being uh, the person who makes the decision and the person who makes suggestion and recommendations. Yeah. So now being in the chair to make decisions, what's that like for you? It's a blessing. It's it's a responsibility that I realize is so incredibly important, not only to this program, the football program, but everyone in the athletics department, everyone on this campus, and everyone in this community. It is really important that you get it right. I'll, I'll say this. I was blessed earlier in my career to have some great athletic directors who I worked for who allowed me to be very involved in some of these searches. And therefore, I will say, I was very, very comfortable throughout this process. Uh, Very comfortable uh, that we were going to find the right person. Uh, Very comfortable that we were doing the right things and we were talking to the right people and following the right processes to identify but then eliminate the people who weren't exactly right for us so that it would leave us with whomever we end up selecting as a finalist. All of them could be very, very successful. Um, Very comfortable working with Dr. Downs in this process. Very open. We had very clear conversations 
Um, and again, w- w- it, what's great about it is we challenge each other. And so we what's talk an to example? What's an example of a search that you were a part of years ago that I can talk about? Um, selecting the head basketball coach at the University of South Florida when I worked with uh, Doug Woolard and Bill McGillis back in the day. That was uh, an incredible opportunity to go through that. Um, we ended up selecting Stan Heath, who had been uh, the, I believe he was the associate head coach at Michigan State at the time when he came to South Florida. To be a part of that, to be in the room when we were interviewing all the candidates, to be able to go through the data analysis, because you're not just selecting a candidate based on their knowledge, skills, and abilities. You're also evaluating, does this person fit our our model, our budget, our financial plan for, you know, can we afford this person? Can we bring this person's assistance? And going through all of that. Um, you're also in the room when the departing coach notifies the team. Yes. And that has to be one of the hardest conversations, whether it's um, in a situation in which the program has been successful and a coach is elevating and moving on, uh, which you've done uh, a couple of times now as an athletic director, or if it's in the opposite situation and a coaching change is made on the players. Um, I think at this point you've probably been in all of those situations. Uh, what's it like when you get in the room? I can't help but imagine there's emotions. I can't help but imagine there's a lot of tears. That has to be one of the hardest things to do as an athletic director in, in both scenarios. What's it like in that room? When you're in that room, you want those young men to know that you care about them. And I can tell you this, from having been a student athlete and being an administrator for a long time, you're not going to be effective as the administrator in that room in that moment if you don't already have a relationship with those young men. People ask me every once in a while, hey, why did you ride the bus with the team on the road games? You know why? Because I wanted them to see that I would ride the bus with them, right? Uh, I, I literally had a player one time ask me, how come I didn't just fly? I said, because I'm a part of this. We're, we're in this together. I want you to know that, listen, I'm going to ride the bus too, right? Um, I try to talk to the players as much as I possibly can, whether it's at practice, over at Tucker, in the cafeteria. And you build that honest, authentic relationship so that in that moment when you are in that room and those young men, and if it's another sport, young ladies have a coaching change and a leadership change, they're instantly, and this is probably a normal, natural thing, they're going to feel fear. And I want them to know that they've got somebody there as an administrator who cares about them, who loves them has their best interest in mind and knows who, you know, they know I'm going to fight for them so that when I stand in that room and I say, hey, young men, listen, we love Trey. Trey is going to take on a different experience, a different challenge, and that's okay. But I trust me when I tell you we are going to go out and hire an incredible human being to be your next head coach. And I feel like that promise I made to those young men that day has been fulfilled. I'm incredibly confident. What's the number one thing you've learned now that you're a little over a year in this role? What's the number one thing you've learned about being an athletic director? Got to build culture. Culture trumps everything. Culture. The idea, um, 
the way that people carry themselves and think about how they're going to serve others every day is more important than anything else. To know your mission, to do it for something bigger than yourself. And if you can cultivate that within this department or if you're an athletics director at any other place, your organization, you could work at a lumber yard, right? When you are the leader, if you can develop a culture of competitive excellence, you will find success. It's the most important thing. It's more important than budget. It's more important than uh, resources. It's more important than talent. I'm telling you, it, 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 it's cultivating that relationship with your staff so that you build an army of happy and healthy people who want to go out and do something great uh, for others around them. What's your next focus? I know as far as big projects are concerned, uh, the soccer field house, we have spoken in the past about being close financially to getting that done. You got it done. There was a groundbreaking ceremony, and I yeah. drove down Stadium Drive earlier today, and there are pipes and beams and you name it in the ground. So that facility is getting built. Um, should be ready by next season, I understand. Yes. Um, what's the next big thing after the new field house for soccer? The biggest thing is for us to develop a robust strength and conditioning and athletic training uh, program. That is the that is a huge point of emphasis. Uh, Kevin Jones, who's led sports medicine here for a long time. 40 uh, years. Yeah, 40 seasons. Amazing. Um, has done a great job. He and his staff are working their tails off. But I think that we need to grow in that space. I think this transition um, with our strength coach leaving, Dylan Horn, who did an incredible job. I, uh, shout out to Dylan because I'll say this. There's only one Division One team in the state of North Carolina that has won a conference championship uh, in football, in men's basketball, and women's basketball since 2019. It's Gardner-Webb University, and the strength coach and the sport performance coach for all three of those sports was Dylan Horn. So wow. that, that's, that's a, a real testament to his ability. Um, but as we bring in a new director of sport performance, um, we have an opportunity to partner with the Department of Exercise Science here. Uh, Dr. Uh, Granis and Dr. Ahern uh, have committed to us that um, as we make this transition, they're going to be more involved, which I could not be more excited about to get more of our students involved um, and get some really, really talented strength uh, professionals involved in our program. And we are actively having conversations with local and uh, regional healthcare groups to see if we can't partner with them to bolster our athletic training, physical therapy, and sports medicine, uh, which I am incredibly hopeful for over the next six months uh, that we are able to find a partnership there to provide our student athletes with as much wellness care as possible mentally and and, and uh, emotionally right um, and physically all of the all of the above what's next from a facilities standpoint those are clearly tangible things that the Gardner web fans and local community are interested in yep uh, I probably number one is our, our tennis courts uh, to be frank they are on their last leg we need to upgrade those and plus the tennis courts are a great way to have people in and around the community come and spend time on campus uh, we we may <laughs> we may I'll put this out here with an asterisk include a pickleball court uh, out there next to the tennis courts uh, while we have no intention of starting a pickleball program it's more uh, kind of uh, the idea might be to keep uh, some pickleball players 
off the tennis courts per se and focused uh, on just gotcha. the pickleball courts. Uh, for those of you who are in the know, the nets are a different height and it creates uh, creates some issues when you're trying to play pickleball on the on the varsity tennis courts. I want to ask you a question that I know uh, folks on the outside, media members, not just in area, this area but nationally, have asked me many times. And so I will pose the same question to you. Uh, in this age of conference realignment and schools moving all over the place. The Big South has lost members over the last few years. Uh, it is down to nine full-time members, and it is down to two football-playing members as part of the merger with the Big South OVC. What is Gardner-Webb's relationship with the Big South, and what is Gardner-Webb's plan uh, to ensure sustainability with the volatility of conference movement in college athletics. Yeah, so first of all, our relationship with the Big South is incredibly strong. Uh, Sharika Montgomery is uh, an incredible conference commissioner and happens to be a Gardner-Webb grad. So when you have uh, that level of depth of relationship with your commissioner, it's always a very good thing. And I can tell you that Sharika is absolutely committed to doing everything in her power to make sure that the Big South remains incredibly strong in this space. And I think our relationship with the OVC is strong as well. We've got a multi-year contract with those folks that provides us with a little bit of security over the next few years. And we do need to continue to watch and stay stay involved in what's going on with conference realignment. It's not done. There's There's more to be done. And I think that we really, truly need to see what's going to happen at the highest levels of Division One. Uh, you know, a lot of new conversations about potentially turning student-athletes to employees. Conversations about the, you know, just the Power Five and specifically just those football programs breaking off to create their own entity. A lot of that stuff is going to need to shake out uh, ultimately before, I think, at our level, we know exactly what the next 10 years of college sports is going to look like. Uh, but I, I can uh, assure you that all of us are uh, trying to stay on the front end of that so that, um, you know, we can we can make the smartest moves possible to create the best experience for our student-athletes. So even though the Big South is down to nine members, which puts them on the brink as a conference of potentially losing out on NCAA bids if the membership can't stay steady, even though at this current moment, a lot of folks on the outside concerned the Big South's at nine. Gardner-Webb is committed to the Big South and not looking elsewhere. Absolutely. We, uh, we are, we, I, I don't share the same fears that others have about losing uh, automatic uh, qualifying status in the Big South. And the Big South OVC partnership, although it's down to two Big South legacy schools with the departure of Bryant and Robert Morris, you are committed and confident that that partnership will hold? I am. I am. I, I think that working with that leadership group over there, they're very excited uh, that we are a part of it. Um, I think that um, we provide them uh, with some much needed security as well. Gotcha. Before we wrap up, a couple of other pressing NCAA topics that I think every athletic director in the country has an opinion on, so I'm interested in yours. The recent decision by the courts to allow multi-time transfers to play right away uh, is that good for college athletics, and what is your stance on that? It, this is so difficult because in my heart of hearts, I'm a bit of a libertarian. I would like to allow people the choice and the freedom to make the decisions that they want to make for their lives. But at the same time, 
when you look at the statistics, young men who transfer, young men and young women, I should say, who transfer multiple times, on average, graduate far fewer than their, uh, than their, their peers who don't transfer. The purpose of going and playing college sports, in my opinion, is to get a degree. And what a lot of young men and young women do not understand, and their families don't understand this, that in the business of higher education, when a, when a young person transfers from school A to school B, all of the credits do not go, right? If you had 80 credits at school A, then you go to school B, you only, for example, you might only get 60 of those 80. You might only get 40 of those 80. But in the, um, when, when you fixate on the positives of additional potential playing time, additional potential exposure, hey, per, maybe potential a name, image, and likeness deal, right? What they're sacrificing is the likelihood that they're going to get a diploma. And there is so much literature and so much research that shows definitively that it is in the best interest of a person to get a diploma than not get a diploma. I think the number that a lot of people use is just a general fact and figure is that uh, when a person has a diploma, they're likely to earn a million dollars more over their career than someone who does not have a diploma. We have young men and young women who are giving up the likelihood they're going to get a diploma or a million dollars because they're going to get $10,000 in name, image, and likeness. At the end of the day, when you're 70 years old and you look back at your life, you'd say, that probably wasn't a great decision. And so I simply, from my perspective, I try to inform young people and their families that make a good long-term decision whether that's here or any other school get your diploma and so that's 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 where i am on that i hate to say it but it seems like in college athletics a lot of people have lost sight of that they they have and you know it's almost not their fault because espn i love them but on sports center there's none of these conversations are happening well, the conversation right. is about will this student athlete play? Yes. And will he play elsewhere? Or yes. Will she play elsewhere? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I can't believe we live in a world where you could be the number one ranked high school recruit in the country, regardless of sport. I mean, I, I just saw this in football. You go to an incredible university, you get one year of an incredible education at a great university. And you transfer the next year. That isn't in your best interest. It's not. I mean, more times than not, it's not. There may be specific situations, but, but, you know. And if we do allow people to transfer every single year, we are going to have, we're going to have an issue so with speaking, a lot of young people. You're speaking from the perspective that. Uh, it might be in the best interest of, of playing time now, yeah. but the data does show that long-term getting your degree, which is, again, they're still student-athletes, and this is college athletics, yep. that long-term getting your degree, that's the most beneficial thing, and the data kind of shows that if you transfer too many times, 
you are Correct. reducing your, your possibilities there. The other major potentially transformational and will definitely be structural in the modern construct that is college athletics change here is Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, who's rather new in that role, uh, proposing the possibility of a separate football subdivision for maybe not all of the Power Five, just the elites of the Power Five that play separately from the rest of Division One. There's a lot of legs to this that will trickle down, but it could directly affect a school like Gardner-Webb, who gets paid to play a lot of those games. Correct. Um, where do you stand on the potential of the breakoff and the potential of this proposal by Charlie Baker actually coming to fruition? Where do you stand on that? And how would it potentially affect Gardner-Webb if this does happen? The first thought I have is, if it were to happen, we have to know how we are going to fund all the other sports. Because here's my thought process. If we take football and we completely separate it, then those student athletes who are playing football are going to say we rightfully should be able to benefit from all resources created by that agreement i.e. all the television money should only be spent on football but at every level of sport the football money is paying for all the other teams so step one we, we got to figure that out are universities willing to fund all of the other sports knowing that they won't be able to use any of the revenue dollars associated with football that's what presidents across the country are going to have to figure out. Now, somebody might step up and say, yeah, it's going to happen because Division Three. that's how Division Three operates right now. But they also have no scholarships. So does that mean every Division One university in the country is going to be non-scholarship uh, when football breaks away? Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. Uh, and then... The last part of your question, how would this affect Gardner-Webb? It would affect Gardner-Webb because a significant proportion of our revenues um, come from game guarantees. And those game guarantees are really important, not just for athletics, but it supports campus as well. And so um, we would have to come up with a way to make up for those lost dollars. And the you know, the number one way to do that probably is actually through ticket sales. So we'd have to be smart and schedule games against people locally in the region that we know that uh, people would travel for, right? Um, Bryant and Robert Morris recently left the Big South. At the end of the day, that does not hurt us because those fans did not travel to Boiling Springs for games. And therefore, we were not reaping much uh, financial benefit from those relationships. Um if we could then replace them with regional teams that we know could travel. For example, when we played North Carolina uh, A&T at the end of last season, we had an incredible crowd. We had an incredible gate. That truly helped the program. If we could schedule more games like that, um, we might have an opportunity to uh, continue to support the football program at the same level that, that we've got today. It seems like all the discussion that we have in public spaces uh, and why I wanted to talk to you and get you on the record with your opinion on these things when you talk to the collegiate athletics administrators those proposals are still a long way away 
And there are so many more layers and details to all of this that maybe is uh, discussed in the basic talk radio space. That's Listen, what it seems like. Uh, that's uh, what uh, I've learned from uh, this conversation. It, 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 and I think that's true. Right? For example, I, I think that President Baker's letter was done on purpose to ensure that we were having a conversation about all of the potential ramifications of this, you know, this immense potential change. I do not believe that everything that's proposed in that letter will come to fruition, but I think it is healthy for us to have that conversation. Um, it, it, it will take years, regardless of what happens. None of this will happen overnight. This will take uh, years. As you know, media contracts have been written uh, for several years. Um, television contracts, probably not going to be torn up overnight. Uh, but I would suspect that over the next few years, uh, you could see some people positioning, and hopefully in an intelligent way, um, that keeps uh, you know the student in student-athlete. I think that's just so important because, <clears throat> you know, there's only a handful of professional sports teams and uh, not everyone gets a chance to be a pro, uh, you know. Yeah, good points. Good points. Great discussion. Uh, hearing your perspective on it I think is enlightening, uh, especially with your different experiences at different schools and different areas of the country that compete in different conferences and at different levels. Uh, it's a unique perspective. And uh, it's an insightful conversation that I think the depth of which most people, uh, if they aren't willing to have, they just don't know to have. It's, it's, it's hard to have, yeah. honestly, because it's so nuanced. Dr. Andrew T. Goodrich, he is the director of athletics here at Gardner-Webb University, the man the coaches report to here on the Coaches Show podcast. I, I'm, I am the man <laughs> who serves the coaches. Let there that be on the record. <laughs> Dr. G, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. That does it for this edition of the Gardner-Webb Coaches Show podcast presented by Alpha Graphics South Charlotte. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. I'm Phil Constantino. So long. The Gardner-Webb Coaches Show podcast is a presentation of the Running Bulldogs Sports Network. Any reproduction, retransmission, or other use of this podcast without the express written consent of Gardner-Webb Athletics is strictly prohibited. Announcers are selected by Gardner-Webb University. You've been listening to the Gardner-Webb Coaches Show podcast presented by Alpha Graphics South Charlotte.